word After all the breath In the dirt And the fires will burn And after all this time And after all the ambulances go And after all the hangers on I'm hanging on in the dead light Of the afterglow Sammy Reds, I'm the U.S. I'm the campus minister. I was going to say I'm the USC campus minister, but I think that's pretty obvious. We're at USC. Um, welcome to RUF. This is my favorite time of the year, first RUF of the year. And this semester, I'm actually really excited. We're doing a series that we're calling Portraits of Jesus, a study in the Gospel of John. And what's fun to me about this is, as I've studied the book of John, if you look at all the other Gospels, they're almost more like documentaries, or they're actually almost more like still photographs. But the Gospel of John, if you sort of follow it and read it and watch it, John is actually an artist who's actually giving, he's painting these pictures, these beautiful pictures of Jesus to try to, try to give us something that maybe at first glance we didn't catch before about him. And tonight what I want to do is I want to start off just from the very beginning, and I'm going to read John 1. It's on your handout, John 1, 1 to 18. And John actually begins his Gospel. Most of the other Gospels, all three of the other Gospels actually, begin their, their Gospels with the birth of this baby named Jesus. But John does something very, very interesting. He actually takes us back not to the birth of Jesus, but he takes us back actually to the beginning of the world. And here he has this story to tell us. And it's actually a, it's a story about Jesus, but it's actually a story about us. And here's what he says, John 1, 1 to 18. I'm just going to read it for us. I'm reading from the ESV. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's talking about John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and this is where the story gets tragic. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let me pray for us, and I want to dive in to our passage tonight. Let's pray first. Jesus, we thank you for your word, and we thank you um, that you have let us gather here tonight to learn something about you. And as we hear this story that John has to tell us, Lord, I pray that you would uh, do two things for us. 
Lord, first I pray that you would let us see ourselves in it. Let us see the ways that this story tells us we've rejected you, that we've strayed from you. And yet, Lord, I pray, even as you bring us to that crushing, uh, disappointing realization about ourselves, that you would do another beautiful thing, which is to show us the beauty of your grace toward us. That, Lord, you came down from heaven, you left your throne above, that you might pursue a desperate and broken people like us. And, Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news that you came to bring. And I pray as we think about this story here tonight that you would let us hear, maybe for the first time, let us see, maybe for the first time, let us taste, maybe for the first time, the sweetness of your grace. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. Before you were ever born, before you could ever talk, your heart asked, and my heart asked, two questions. Long before we learned our ABCs, long before we even learned to... To, to babble to our parents. Our heart was asking two questions. And those two questions were something that your parents tried to answer as best they could. Those two questions you tried to answer in some ways through the awkwardness of middle school, through the loveliness or loneliness of high school, depending on your experience. And these two questions you bring with you to college. And for the first time in your life, you're going to actually try to attempt to answer these questions by yourself. These two questions are what we could call the script of your life. Everybody's got a script by which they live, things they live for, things they want, what gives purpose and meaning to your life. And these two questions are the basis of the script of the story of your life, to quote quote One Direction, which is a little bit awkward. And here are the two questions. Where are the two questions? Well, here they are. The first is this. Where will I find love? Who will love me? And the second is this, will I find something, what will I find, or will I find something that's bigger than myself to live for? Where will I find love, and what will I find that is bigger than myself to live for? What's interesting about this passage tonight is John doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. He actually takes us back to the beginning of the world, and he tells us a story. And it's a story about Jesus, but it's really the story between God and us. It's a story about not just creation, not kind of how we got here, but it's a story about the relationship between God and this people that he created, God and you and me. And what's fascinating about that is John is saying this story that he's going to tell us about Jesus has everything to do with us. And in particular, as we think about those two questions, where will I find love and what will I find to live for this bigger myself, he wants us to see really two things, just simply two things tonight I want you to see about Jesus. And I want to put it like this, that Jesus simultaneously is for our whole lives the one we've been looking for and the one we've been running from. That's what he wants. As he tells us this story, that's what he wants us to get about Jesus, that he's simultaneously the one we've been looking for and the one we've been running from. And that's what I want to think about with you for a little bit tonight. How have we been looking for him and how have we been running from him? So first stick with me for a little bit as we look at this passage about the ways that you and I have been, whether we know it or not, by the way, looking for him. As our heart asks those two questions, where will I find love and what will I find bigger than myself to live for? Where... Have we been looking for him as we look to answer those questions? You know, it's interesting, when, of all the names that, that John could pick about Jesus, there are quite a few. Like, let's just take his name, Jesus. That was his humanly given name. And if you know anything about the Bible, you know that his name was taken from the Hebrew Joshua, which meant to deliver or to save his people. And so Jesus, he could have used just the name Jesus. Or he could have used uh, his nickname, Jesus had a nickname, like Prince has a nickname, like LeBron James has a nickname, King James. Jesus had a nickname, it was the Christ. 
And the Christ simply meant, from the Hebrew, it was a word that meant anointed, and it meant that this was to the Jews the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for, the anointed one who would come and do what, what God's people could not do for themselves. He could have picked a bunch of names. You know, if you grew up in Sunday school, you went to the awkwardness that was VBS, or you, you have remarkably volunteered for the awkwardness that was VBS. You know that they're Prince of Peace, uh, Lamb of God. Yeah, I mean, there's so many names that he could have used as he begins his gospel, but he uses one that's pretty interesting. He uses one that maybe we don't usually think about when we think of Jesus, and it's simply this. He calls him the Word. What in the world does that mean? Well, as we kind of follow the book of John, you're going to learn that John loves depth. Like, he loves saying things that mean a couple of things. And when he uses this word, the word to talk about Jesus, he's actually doing two things that are pretty fascinating. He's saying something, like, he wrote this book, and he's got an audience in mind, and that audience is kind of twofold. On the one end, you have these closed-minded Jews who are very religious, very conservative, and he's writing to them, and he knows they know their Bible. He knows they know their scripture, and so he's using the word especially for them. But he's also talking to more open-minded Greeks who were searching for answers, who love to watch the latest, not movies, but plays, or talk about the latest books or ideas of their day. And he's writing to them as well. And what's fascinating is, is looking at both of those things. What does it mean that Jesus is the word? Well, here's what it meant to the Jews, and here's what John wanted the Jews to get. And it's this. If you knew your Bible, you knew there was this theme in the Old Testament where God often talked about doing things powerfully through his word. So Isaiah 55, he says this. He says, My word that goes out of my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. To the Jews, to those that knew their Bibles, the word in the Old Testament was simply this. It was God's transforming power present in the world. It was the thing by which God got stuff done. It was the thing that the, the Jews, that they were supposed to tremble before. It was this awesome power, but it was present. It wasn't from afar. It was present working in the world. So if you go even further back to when John uses those words in the beginning, which he clearly meant the Jews to understand, to get, take us all the way back to Genesis 1, where the very first opening line of the Bible is, In the beginning, God. And what did God do? He spoke everything that we know and love about this world into existence through his word. He spoke, the, star, he spoke the, the sun and the stars and the soil and the seas and the starfish and the sunflowers. And I want to use more S-words to keep this going because I worked hard, I worked hard on that part and I came up short with S-words. But he, he worked all the beautiful things that he saw. I mean, all the beautiful things that we enjoy. He, he, he literally brought out of nothing, the Bible says, through his word. And what's fascinating is John means us to see that where God in Genesis 1 was created, he created even us, the Bible says... By his word, because we've lost our way, he's doing something even more powerful through his word, Jesus. And he's recreating men and women and he's restoring them and he's restoring us to the humanity that we lost when we sinned and fell away from him in the garden. And so when the Jews read that he is the word, he is the one they've been waiting for. He's the one, the only one that can make them new. This is what I love about, so back to school, my kids are in school. And uh, I love back to school selfishly for myself because it means buying new things. Like it means we buy back to school clothes. And so I get to go to J. Crew and like pick out some, I get to justify buying some $99 jeans because it's back to school time. And we're going to buy kids for the clothes. We're going to clothes for the kids. We're going to buy clothes for, for me. And uh, we, get, we, buy, you know, uh, we buy all kinds of, sometimes we, we'll buy a new computer or maybe you bought a new phone. You get to buy new stuff. And the beautiful, the beautiful thing about buying new stuff, the thing that I love about buying new stuff, whatever it is that your thing is, 
is just for a brief moment you feel new. Like when I, when I go to the dressing room at Jake, just let me just bear with me here. When I go to the dressing room at Jake Crew and the assistant awkwardly like, checks me in and unlocks the door, which I don't ever understand why they keep dressing doors locked. Like who's gonna, I mean, I just don't understand like why that's the thing, but they awkwardly let me in and I put in my stuff and I look in the mirror and I think, ah. I mean, I always sort of hate myself when I look in those mirrors, but like those mirrors make me hate myself a little bit less, you know, because they, I guess they slim you maybe a little bit. And I think I feel new. Let me be vulnerable for a second. And whatever it is for you, when you buy something new that you love, you, you feel new. And then inevitably what happens is you wear it for a week or you use it for a week or you use it for a couple of weeks and then it gets old and then you go back to your old self. And part of what it meant for the Jews to see Jesus as the word, God's power, transforming power present in the world is that Jesus is the only one that can make you new and me new and give us new hearts and give us new ways to see ourselves and give us new ways to see one another and give us new ways to see God and give us new ways make us new. But it meant something to the Greeks too. So if it meant that to the Jews, what did it mean to the Greeks? It's interesting, it's a little bit different. So if it was... To the Jews had this Old Testament context. To the Greeks it had a little bit of a different context. And it was this. They were looking for what you could call just a, a truth or a principle or something which was like unlock the key to life. Something that made sense and gave their lives meaning and purpose. Something that they could organize their lives around. Some deep truth that opens up life. If you're a Star Wars fan, it's the Force. If you're a uh, New Age literature fan, which you're probably not, it's the secret. If you are uh, a 30 Rock fan, it's the universe. You know, whatever it is that you're a fan of, we have these things that we talk about that are supposed to gather, that which we can gather our lives around and make meaning out of them. And John is saying, you've been looking and looking and looking, and you've been talking and talking and talking and going to all the latest plays, reading all the latest books, but let me tell you that what you're looking for, the truth you're looking for, is a person. And his name is Jesus. And he's actually the person, if you read the passage, that made you. He's actually the person that you were meant for. He's actually the person that knows you far better than you know yourself. He's actually the person that you've been looking for. It's fascinating to think about the idea of words and what words do. I'm a guy that loves words. My family grew up, we loved Scrabble. We were that nerdy family. Scrabble and Scattergories were like our games. The best way to ruin friendships is to play a quick game of Scattergories. And you'll ruin just a couple couple friendships really quickly. Uh, Scrabble takes forever, but it's a lot of fun because I love words. Because what words do, if you think about it, is they take our innermost thoughts, our inaudible thoughts, the things that no one knows that we think, and a word lets other people know it. It makes the inaudible audible. It makes the, the mystery that we keep locked inside known. If we didn't have words, you and I could never know each other. The way that you can know me, the way that I can know you, is we speak words to each other. What's your name? If you couldn't talk, that would be an awkward moment because I would have to like just guess your name. And there's a, there's a sense in which John is saying, this is what Jesus is doing. No one is more qualified to make known God to us than the one that has been with him from the very beginning. No one is able to speak the heart of the Father more than the one that's been with God from the very beginning. And that's what Jesus it does is the word. He reveals who God is to us. And maybe that's the question that some of you have. Can I know God? Is God knowable? Why does he seem so silent? Why does he seem to never speak to me? Why won't he just open his mouth and tell me what I'm supposed to do or who I'm supposed to be? 
my wife and I just started watching this show uh, called The Leftovers on HBO, and it's a fascinating show because the whole premise is it's kind of like Left Behind, but good. <laughs> it's kind of the way I think about it. And the idea is this rapture has happened or some strange event has happened where just a handful of people got t- taken nowhere. No one really knows where they are. And religion is saying it's the rapture and they're looking at all these texts in scripture and science is saying it can't be the rapture. We don't believe in that kind of stuff. It's got to be something else, maybe some sort of spontaneous combustion. But there's this group of people that wants to remember and wants other people to remember what happens and they're called the guilty remnant. And all they do, they get, they, they're like a little cult that, that gathers, they live in this, these suburban houses, and they wear nothing but white, and they smoke all the time, they just have a cigarette always with them, and they, they follow the normal people of the town who are like going about their job, they're just, they just kind of follow them around and just stand there. And the thing that drives me crazy as I watch the show is the one thing they never do, the catch is, they never speak. And like it makes me mad. Like I, when I'm watching, it makes me mad. Like I want to like we do a projector thing on our wall, and I want to like punch them in the face on my wall because I'm like, talk, just tell people what you're doing. Why are you being this way? As we watch this show, and maybe that's how some of you feel about God. Talk, talk to me. And what John is saying is everything that God has ever wanted to say to you, and still wants to say to you, He's said to you in the person, in the life. In the work of Jesus Christ. I love the way that, that Paul talks about it, that Jesus is God's yes and amen. If you're wondering, if you ever struggle, that if, does God love me? Maybe you believe you're a Christian and you, your, your greatest struggle is how do I know that God loves me? Paul says you simply look to Jesus because Jesus is the yes and amen of the promises of God that he will never leave us or forsake us. He will do everything that we ever needed to be done to be saved and to be made right with him. Jesus is everything that God wants to say to us, but he's in a person. He's the one we've been looking for. He answers those two questions. When you're asking the question, where will I find love? Jesus is the only place where you'll be loved forever. Your boyfriend loves you, I'm sure. Your girlfriend loves you, I hope. Some don't. We'll talk about that like six weeks into the semester when you hit breakup season. Um, Your friends... You, you, you long for love from your friends, and, and it's good to be loved. Who doesn't want to be loved? And yet the only person that can look you in the eye and say, I will love you forever, I will never, I will never leave you by breakup or death, is Jesus. He's the only person that can answer that question, what can I find that will be bigger than me to live for? How can I stop being so, you know, I like to say sometimes that we're all like X-Men, we have a superpower, and that superpower is the ability to make everything about us. Like, I love Nightcrawler, but I'm kind of like Nightcrawler in my ability to quickly make things just about me. I just asked, my wife was here, my kids were here. This is a good moment. I was internally trying not to kill my kids as they were, like, dancing crazily in the back. Not literally, but kind of. (laughs) And yet what Jesus is inviting you to is a thing called the kingdom. Where you can be actually a a place of healing, a place of hope, a safe place in the lives of others as you point them to what they were made for. And it's far, far better to have a small part in a big story and a good story than it is to have a huge part in a bad story. Just ask Nicolas Cage. He's learned that recently. (laughs) So in the one hand, Jesus is the one that we're looking for, but this is where the story gets sad. This 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 is what John is trying to say to you and me. He's trying to say he's the word. He's the one that you've been looking for. He's the one... 
that your heart is crying out for. Woody Allen said the heart wants what it wants, but I would say to you, and John is saying to you, the heart wants Jesus, whether you know it yet or not. And yet this is where the story gets tragic, because Jesus is not just the one that you've been looking for. Jesus is also the one you've been running from. And me too. This is where, if, you, if you're reading it, it says that, that tragic thing. It says that basically Jesus came to his own people and his own people did not receive him. That Jesus came, he didn't text us these, you know, like loving messages from heaven. He, he didn't send his friends to say how he felt about us. He, he came. The Bible says in this passage that the word became flesh. That that's how close Jesus got to us. That he took on skin that we could touch, that he, that he had hands that we could shake, that he had a heart that stopped beating as soldiers did their work on the cross, that he had breath that we could smell, that he had eyes that we could look into, that he had ears we could whisper into. Jesus, literally, the Son of God from all of eternity, took on a body just like yours and just like mine. Because he, why? Because he came for us. He came to restore us. He came to love us. He came to take us back from the place that we had fallen from the garden. He came, this is what we call the incarnation. It's a big fancy theological word to say one thing, that, that, that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, took on flesh, not just to show, like, not just at random, but to come to show us his love for us. It's, it's, if you're a movie person, it's John Cusack. The incarnation is John Cusack can say anything holding the boombox outside of Dan's room. The incarnation is Ryan Gosling in the notebook restoring the house just to be with Allie again. It's God coming to his people in the flesh, telling them that I love you and I want you to be mine. And we're the ones that say no. We're, 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 we're the ones that, that, that cheated on him. We're the ones that left him. And even though he's come to us to restore us by his love, even though he's come to show us that love again, we say, no, thanks, I don't want it. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Instead of receiving him, we rejected him. Instead of kissing him, we killed him. Why? Why is it that you and I keep Jesus at arm's length? Or, don't, or worse, don't think about him at all. And here's why I think we do. Is that there's a part of him that reminds us what we should be. And there's a part of him that reminds us what we once were. That Jesus is a painful reminder of what we we could have been and what we should be. And if we're being honest with ourselves, we don't like it. Because we love ourselves too much or we hate ourselves too much to, to believe that we either need or are worthy of the love of God. That's why I think being a human being and thinking about your relationship with Jesus like this, it's like when you go through a breakup. If you've ever been through a bad breakup, I have, a lot of us have, one of the things that happens is you inevitably want to avoid those things and places that remind you of her, remind you of him. Uh, When I got married, this is a crazy story, but I got married and obviously not not to the girl I broke up with or that broke up with me. Uh, she was in high school at the time I was in college and then uh, was devastated for about a year and then met my wife and we got married right out of college. And the crazy thing was we, were, we got married in Sumner, South Carolina. We got married in an art museum, which was, we didn't like to dance. So we were looking for like a way to do like a jazz band so there wasn't dancing in our wedding. And that will make sense of me if you stick around RUF because I'm a pretty depressing person sometimes. And, uh, and so here we were and like things happened, we had too much wedding cake. And so we left the wedding cake with the art museum in case they had anybody that came in the next day. Or the, on, that, on that next Monday, and wanted some. And what happened? We did. What we didn't know was that my ex-girlfriend's mom worked at the art museum. And so, and so Monday she came in. There was this extra cake. They took it home. They knew it was wedding cake. And they were thinking, "Oh, this is wedding cake. It tastes pretty good." I wondered who, uh, whose wedding this was. 
And they looked it up. My friend was telling me, the mutual friend, they looked it up and realized it was me. Can I be honest? I wanted to be like, boom. <laughs> yeah. How did kissing Ryan on the dance floor in Myrtle Beach, spring break your senior year feel now? That's how we broke up. I didn't say any of that. But I like to imagine, I do sometimes sinfully like to imagine, like her as she heard her mom tell that she was biting into cake and like tears just waterfalled from her eyes. The point is that when you, when you go through something like that, you want to avoid the places that are painful. You want to avoid the places that remind you of what you could have been. You want to avoid the places that can remind you of what you once were. And that's what we do with Jesus. Is we want to avoid thinking about those places that remind us of him. Why? Because we're afraid. I think we don't know him very well. I think my problem and your problem is that we really think that Jesus, that's what I love about this passage when it says, to those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. What I love is Jesus isn't asking, I think we're afraid that Jesus is asking us to give him something. And what we miss is the gospel is saying Jesus wants to, he wants to give us something. Grace upon grace, this passage says. The grace of having your guilt and the guilt of your sins taken away, the grace of what it means to be loved by him, the grace of what it means to know him and to be in relationship with him, the grace of what it means to belong to him. You know, all the, it's interesting when, 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 when it says the word became flesh, when we think about the incarnation, all the other religions of the world, this is true, all the other religions of the world are a story about what you and I need to do to get to God. And Christianity really is radically different because it's a story about what God has done to get to us. That he's come for us because he loves us. And he wants to make us his again. I uh, Recently, Robin Williams, the, that news has really bummed me out. And it's made me think of some of my favorite Robin Williams movies. And, you know, literally Mrs. Doubtfire got me through my parents' divorce. Like, not even kidding. Like, that was one of the first movies that dealt with divorce in a real way. Uh, Dead Poet Society made me literally stand my senior year and, and lead my students and uh, oh, captain my captain to our English teacher because it was such a great scene. Uh, Good Will Hunting, I mean, I, how many times can you watch when he tells Matt Damon it's not his fault? I mean, I think, I literally believe that's what we all need in our lives. Like tonight, one by one, I should just push you against the wall and tell you it's not your fault and I think it would make your freshman year better. <laughs> but the one that a lot of us don't, haven't seen or talked about is one of my favorites is, 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 is a movie called The Fisher King. And in it, he plays this guy who basically uh, becomes friend. He, but he, this relationship happens uh, with this radio host who was responsible for setting off this madman in a shooting spree that, before they knew each other, killed Robin Williams' wife. And when his wife died, he went crazy and he got in the streets and he was homeless. And because Jeff Bridges' character, the radio host, did that, he lost his job and he was drinking a lot in the streets and that's where they meet. And it's this beautiful story of these two very, very broken, damaged people beginning to be a source and place of healing in one another's lives. But Robin Williams, once he gets on the streets, becomes obsessed with this story called The Fisher King. And this is what he says at one point. I'm going to read it. It's in your handout. But here's what he says to Jeff Bridges. He tells him this story. And this is a story uh, that, that fits with our story, I think. He says this. He said, did you ever hear the story of The Fisher King? It begins with the king as a boy having to spend the night alone in a forest so he could become the king. And while he's spending the night alone, he's visited by a sacred vision. Out of the fire appears the Holy Grail, a symbol of God's divine grace, the cup, if you know the Holy Grail. 
And a voice said to the boy, You shall be keeper of the grail, so that it may heal the hearts of men. But the boy was blinded by greater visions of a life filled with power, glory, and beauty. And in his state of radical amazement, he felt for a brief moment, not like a boy, but invincible, a god. So he reached in the fire to take the grail, and the grail vanished, leaving him with his hand in the fire to be terribly wounded. Now as this boy grew older, his his wound grew deeper, until one day, life for him lost its reason. He had no faith in any man, not even himself. He couldn't love or feel loved. And I love this line. He was sick with experience. He began to die. But one day a fool wandered into the castle and found the king alone. Now being a fool, he was simple-minded. He didn't see a king. He only saw a man alone and in pain. And he asked the king, what ails you, friend? And the king replied, I'm thirsty and I need some water to cool my throat. And so the fool took a cup from beside his bed and filled it with water and handed it to the king And as the king began to drink, he realized that his wound was healed. He looked at his hands, and there there was the Holy Grail, that which he had sought his whole life. He turned to the fool and said with amazement, How could you find that which my brightest and bravest could not? And the fool replied, I don't know. I only knew that you were thirsty. And I think that you and I are like that king. The Holy Grail, the the place where we're going to taste the grace of God is is right before us and we don't even know it until we feel our thirst, until we feel our need for him. I love when we sing, come you sinners, the only fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. And what I would love, if if you've tasted that grace, what I love, the other part of the story that's beautiful is the fool. Is what do you need to do to become a source of healing in the lives of your friends and your classmates around you? You simply offer them the cup of water of the grace of God. Come down to us in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you uh, for the ways in which you have loved us far beyond what we deserve, far beyond what we even can believe in our, in our weakest moments. And yet, Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that though we're so bad you had to die for us, we're so loved that you died for us. You came and gave yourself for us. And Lord, I pray that that you would work in our hearts even as we leave this place. Work, let us taste the grace in which you speak about here. Grace upon grace. We pray these things in your name, Lord Christ. Amen. And if it gets